inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. And we're two siblings who happen to be blind. Outlook. On Radio Western. Good morning. You're listening to Outlook on Radio Western this morning, on a Monday morning. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. It's our first show of, well, our first new show of the spring. Last week actually was our first Outlook of the spring, but it was a repeat care. We needed, we needed a week off. Every now and again, it's good to regroup and decompress a bit and take a, take a little break from the show. But uh, we're back and we have a big interview today. Um, I just want to say that Last week's repeat, Kara, I decided to play the one from last April when we did our Siblings Month on, on Outlook, where we had two blind siblings every week, and that was a lot of fun. We had the, the repeat from last week was uh, <laughs> Jessica and Zoe from Texas, so that just had a really great energy, and I thought a great way to kick off the spring since we weren't live last week. Yeah, that's true. And I also want to quick mention, as I like to do, that this is another pre-record. We've been doing a few shows again here in the studio, but we, we do a bit of both, depending on how it works with a guest, and uh, sometimes it's just... It's good to have both options. So here again, we're recording from home. This is being recorded on Tuesday, March the 22nd of 2022. And we'll be airing on uh, Monday, March 28th. So if you're catching this on Radio Western, it's March 28th, or you may be hearing it later on as a podcast, which you can find us on all podcast services, Outlook on Radio Western. Just search us up. And Kara, maybe talk briefly as well about the guests we had on a couple weeks ago before we get into today's discussion. Yeah, just to recap it, uh, people, we had a really great episode two weeks back where we interviewed um, an author and an illustrator of a children's book. Uh, it's, the book is called My City Speaks, and uh, so the illustrator was Ashley Barron, and then the author is uh, Darren LaBeouf. And uh, the book is out with Kids Can Press. You can go to kidscanpress.com. They have an ebook, kids' books and ebooks these days. What an interesting thing! It reminds me of all the like books on tape you used to listen to growing up, but the whole modernized version. Yeah, for sure. We didn't have all those same options even even back when we were we were growing up in the '90s and late '80s. So, but um, yeah, it's a great book about a little girl who's blind who's exploring her city with her cane. She's got a violin case with her. <laughs> I was like. Oh, good character. Yeah, it worked out well. And um, so we <laughs> you did a sensitivity read and authenticity read on that, and people can go back and look through the podcast feed to learn more about that. Yeah, but it was a great discussion with two sighted people who have illustrated some beautiful books for Kids Can Press together. And uh, but yet we have the discussion about how do you draw a little blind girl? You know, what do you think about when you do that? And so that was a great discussion. But Carrie, let's move on now to today's guest and somebody that we met or we got connected to Janet Erickson, who's joining us on the show today. We got connected to her through Elizabeth Lalonde, somebody we met through the Canadian Federation of the Blind, who, who operates the Pacific Training Center for the Blind out west in Canada here. And that's where Janet is calling from today. Hi, Janet. Thanks for coming on Outlook today. Oh, good morning. Uh, good day, everybody. Good, uh, and thank you for having me. Whatever the time of day it might yeah. be when you're here. <laughs> uh, right? Who knows when people are listening? And... Well, 
well, well, I'm thinking of a universal day, you know, or night. For sure, sure yeah. And it's it's interesting, too, when we're doing the pre-records, so it's not airing the exact same day. And also, you're calling in today from, is it Victoria, British Columbia? Yes. Yes, from Victoria, British Columbia, right near Beacon Hill Park. Ooh, nice. I've been been to Victoria there a couple times, Care, We were there for Canadian Federation of the Blind Convention. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really nice place place there and um it's nice to have another guest from yeah. from bc we've had quite a few guests from bc on this show so and yeah again mm-hmm. more time zones i don't know on. if i don't know if i visited that park but um i wish i had oh oh it's a beautiful park and uh and like i say it's it's just it's really nice to be here so awesome yeah, we were talking about the weather when we had our little call the other day and just it was I think it was raining that day it was raining there and it was nice beautiful here. So Yeah, and it's raining here today again too. It's the, I call it now the Victoria sort of spitting because <laughs> I lived um in the east end of Metro Vancouver in Langley, which is at the beginning of the Fraser Valley, the west end of the Fraser Valley, but the east end of metro vancouver and i call it that now because it it has grown and amalgamated so much so yeah i've i've, I've yeah. heard of langley but i i've never been there and it's going to be an interesting discussion here to talk about your transition from from a place like langley to to victoria because i know that's a, mm-hmm. a definitely a different uh, different situation living uh... <laughs> oh oh very much so yes yeah. but i thought maybe care we should start with uh with Elizabeth, the fact that she's the one who sort of connected us in the first place. So we've had Elizabeth Lalonde on the show a couple of times, not on a full episode. We still want to have her on and have more of an in-depth discussion. We've had her on um, a panel that we had last year. We've also, you may have heard her on our, on our convention episodes. Um, but maybe Janet, if you want to talk briefly about, about Elizabeth and how, how you know her and how you've done some work with the Pacific Training Center out, out West, is that correct or no? Yes, and I'm still doing some more. So, yeah, I met Elizabeth years ago at uh, UVic. I was taking English and linguistics, and she was doing her anthropology. And, you know, we connected through the disability student's office. And then that's, and then I kind of lost touch. And then I uh, wanted to get back into doing blindness-related work, and I, I really liked the philosophy of the Pacific Training Center for the Blind, and I, I, well, I really, really super wanted to help with it because with the other large organization, which is the CNIB, I felt that like I'm extremely joyful about being alive in my own way. I felt that that being with that the PTCB, it it encapsulates that. Not only that, I had my file, actual my actual file from CNIB read out to me about two times. And I so strongly recommend every blind Canadian do it simply because it's difficult, but it's very healing to know, you know, internally, how you were portrayed. You're not just reading it from articles, you really feel it, you know it. 
So for me to work with the Pacific Training Center for the Blind, it, it's a really big relief because uh, I, could, I could bring all, all kinds of ways of learning and being alive into the, into the group, right? And learn about how to be a team, learn about conflict. I never learned stuff like that through CNIB. Ever. So, so that's why I'm super duper glad. And I'm taking the minutes for the board. And yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's hard when we talk about something like the CNIB in Canada. You know, all of us grew up with it. Right. But, but, but sometimes you obviously look at things differently, you know, at one point in your life than you do another. And there's no good or bad in anything, but it's, it's very custodial and it, it, it can be sort of demoralizing. Yeah, I think, I think a, oh. a big point about what Janet was just saying is, it's sort of the difference that I've sort of noticed from the CNIB, and this is maybe be a bit more my perspective, but that it gets that you get the feeling more of you're being taken care of. Whereas when we, the more involvement we've had with the, the CFB here, and then Janet and her situation with the, the Pacific Training Center is, you feel like you're really part of everything and you're not being sort of taken care of as you're sort of the a child. And even sometimes when we're, you know, 30s and 40s and, and beyond, we're still sort of treated that way by, by certain people. And, and I think it's really important we, we talk about this stuff on this show because, of course, no, some, everything has some parts that some people might like and the CNIB may have some parts that people like, but at the same time, it's not the be-all, end-all. And it's really important to hear people's personal experiences to, to learn more about it. Yeah. Um, well, we'll ask you a bit about your schooling experience here at some point, but uh, it was just funny to me. Yeah. Like, I guess you'd pointed it out and you hope you can forgive me. Like, I was like, okay, we did meet, we did sit beside each other that can one convention at our table. And it's, it's just because I, you know, we've, I've gone out there a few times now and you meet so many people each time, uh, putting the voice and the face and the name and all that together. But um, yeah, we did have a nice, I think, a nice discussion over lunch or what it was that mm -hmm. day. Yeah, so that was the 2019 yes. convention. That, that was, yes, it was the 2019 convention, yeah. And what do you find with those conventions and that kind of um, coming together like that? Do you find it inspiring, motivating? Can it be intimidating? Like, what, how is it that experience for you usually? Um, well, it's a mix because. Um, it's a mix because on one level it's it's really inspiring and and motivating and then on another level you know you kind of go oh my it's overwhelming because you see so many people you know with different uh difficulties or things you don't understand personally and it's oh how can i help these people and it's hard not to overreact and uh yeah so and i'm i i mean it's just essentially it's really good that we all do come together because it uh i think we have uh, i think with blindness too you're in subcultures uh that a lot of people that are sighted they don't get to um experience so i might meet somebody say that happens to be from well just a made-up example say you know uh 
Iran or something, let's say. So I, I might have, say, a dinner. So I would be more integrated into doing some things because we're both blind is what I'm trying to say. So there's that. And when you go get a guide dog, you see another part of the States, if you get a dog from the States, that a lot of Canadians on a subjective level, they don't experience. Yeah. So I found I find that really neat to be blind in that sense. And that's that's just it. I mean, we talk about on the show a lot about, you know, disability, whatever it may be. That's just that's just part of who someone is. It's a char- characteristic along with many other things. And at the same time, when, when right. you do live life as a blind person, you have just like anything. If you you know, if you're a musician, you live a different life because you're around, in my case, a lot of other musicians and people who are into music. Like it's the same with blindness to where mm-hmm. you meet certain people and your experience is different than than maybe someone else's would be. And that's. It, it provides you with the opportunities and especially these conventions and these events that people gather from across Canada or the U.S. or wherever it may be. It just really allows yeah. you, know, you to meet so many different people with so many different experiences. You have that blindness in common, which gives you something. But at the same point, we're also all very different at the same time. So it's, right. it is a really neat thing. And that's what I've, I've gained from, from these conventions and stuff is just really broadening my network and meeting more blind people than, than I knew before. Cause we're going to get soon here into you, your childhood, Janet, growing up and stuff. And I don't know what it was like mm-hmm. for you growing up, how many blind people you knew growing up. Um, but Carrie and I were both integrated into into the public school system. So we had a couple people we knew through like some summer camps and stuff growing up. But for the most part, we didn't really know that many blind people. So that's another other than, other than each other. Yeah. Well, we had that's the difference, too. Right. We have a yeah. we have, I have a sister who's blind and that's not always that common either. So, well, I was. Um born the youngest of five kids the next one was six years older than me and then the oldest Mm -hmm. one was like 12 years older than me and I was born in rural Manitoba so this is the 60s this is farming um I had a lot of um I had a mixed upbringing a, a mixed bag because I got a lot of mixed messages. So being, um, you know, being kind of gender specific, but as a woman and blindness, there was just this whole bag of stuff that I didn't know I'd have to deal with. Like, uh, you, you know, like I'm, um, like on one level, I was, you know, really, really, really super sheltered. And on another level, it was like, okay, like my family was very, you know, survival of the fittest. So, you know, you had to get out there. Okay, come on. You have to move. You have to walk. You have to push. Don't stop kind of thing. And so for my first six years, I didn't know that there were other people that were blind. I really literally did not. And, And so... So I, we had a CNIB person from the CNIB coming out and show my parents what to do, and then um, and then my my parents um, tried to make me walk independently, and I had because we were on a farm they had me walk from uh, my house to my grandparents' house, which was probably three quarters 
you know, half a kilometer away and they had a string on mm. poles for mm. me to walk. So really for the 60s in that sense, they really did quite, you know, I, I, I really appreciate the physical work a lot of people did in the 60s and 70s and 80s to actually make accessibility happen, right? And it's not... Well, yeah, um, we had a, we had a recent guest who said that her so and it's in her book, but her mother made her an ice rink in their backyard because she wanted to play with her brothers and the like neighborhood kids, and a lot of them wouldn't have played; they would be afraid of hurting her. And this was in the '60s too, mm. I believe. So they just said this is the safest idea if you you know, so you, you're still getting out, <laughs> still moving, and learning how to skate, but um, just safely back here. So it's yeah, it's very helpful and it's great. Mm-hmm. I I. I I don't know if you have many memories walking that's with the string or did you, did you, were you, were you good outside? Cause a lot of blind kids do struggle um, when you're outside and places are more wide open. And I did struggle. I still struggle. I, I guess I probably downplay it because it's like, um, because of growing up in the sixties, that's all that I heard was all oh, my life was, gonna, you know, my life is a struggle. So it took years and years of just some counseling and and just uh, trying again and again to move out of that thinking. But my, uh, you know, um, my like the life on the prairies is not ideal idyllic. But my parents kind of made it that way for me because they wanted, I guess, in their they wanted to make the best that they could at the time so I um I was exposed to being out in the snow Mm -hmm. and I was made to walk you know there was one time I was out in the snow in winter because I was the first to be in a sighted kindergarten and in fact, in Manitoba that year, it was the first year that they had kindergartens. So I was right. the first. I was like that. I call myself, I guess, the human guinea pig in my year. Yeah, they didn't wait to see if they should put a blind kid in the classroom with everyone no. else when they no, started the kindergarten. First time Everybody, with kindergarten. No. here you go. Yeah. No, Everybody so, goes. So I was in a sighted kindergarten, and I'll tell you. The Manitoba government wanted me to go to Brantford, Ontario, to the School for the Blind there. Mm -hmm. So I have some affiliate, like not affiliations, but I I get it. Like if somebody says, oh, I went to Brantford, there's a little bit of a, a, you know, a little bit of a connection because I almost was there. And uh, And do you, you, yeah, do you happen to know why you didn't end up going to Brantford? Was that? I they didn't my parents wanted to have me uh like my i would have been a changed person they wanted me to be uh part of a family so we moved to bc when i was 6 so because i was in sighted kindergarten for the first year and i see all these blind people i'm like oh god jesus christ what the <laughs> why is everybody so slow <laughs> Why mm. can't I draw? Because in like when I was five, I was able to, you know, they let me draw. And this is the like we're talking the late sixties here, <laughs> so it was a sh- it was a shock. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, from one in school environment, the way they run things can be totally different. And uh, you know, I'm sure it was 
oh, it was horribly traumatic the first year in a blind school because. So, uh, so when you went to BC, you started at the, there was a blind, the blind school. Yeah, I was at Jericho, I was at Jericho Hills School for the Blind, right? Right. So the first, you know, I'm coming from a place where I could play with cars and dolls and tumble around with sighted kids that are five years old being bumped, right? To this shockingly odd Jericho Hill school where there's rows of desks and you couldn't move, you couldn't do anything. And they didn't want me to draw pictures because they told me I was blind and I could and I couldn't draw, right? So so I mean I'm talking like I was born blind here, no light perception. And so when I was in kindergarten, I had like people would, you know, talk about colors to me. Mm-hmm. So so it was, you know, I I lived it, I lived through it, but it was bizarre. Yeah, I mean, it was always the the glimpses I'm getting of it are is that it was sort of boot campish, you know. I guess the thought to ha- control a bunch of blind kids to keep them in line, you have to keep things regimented, and yeah. it wasn't just a school for the blind, I'm sure, but uh, obviously, but that's one mm-hmm. thing I'm guessing, and that doesn't mean it still doesn't go on that way. But I hope they've loosened right. up there and just well it, just for our listeners J- jericho hills we've it's come up on the show a couple of times i think i didn't know too much about it being from ontario but it's it's no longer yeah. o- around right it's not open anymore right i was one of the la- uh, last generation of people that was there because i was in residence and uh i was there for the first two years so i was in residence or staying overnight for uh uh, in a dorm. How close to you were you to your family at that point as far as living when you were in the res and how far away was the school from where your, your family lived? Um, it was about a, a three quarters of an hour car drive from where my family lived into Vancouver. Okay. And then, and then because I was, you know, the, the, I, I kept crying. And so I kept putting myself in the infirmary the second year I was there just to, to, to get out of like, like I was like, I had a lot, I'm really sensitive to people's voices and people be yelling at me, screaming at me. And so I over exaggerate mm-hmm. it, but I, I like at Jericho Hill school when, you know, like uh, one of the teachers would say, well, if you, you know, why don't you mop the floor? And so, um, so she, you know, and, and uh, I didn't know how to mop a floor. Nobody taught me how to mop a floor. So when uh, I was at, this happened at the Bowen Island camp. And when I went there, cause we'd have week long trips to Bowen Island uh, with the, you know, for the classes during the, year as sort of our learning and so so she screamed at me and another uh, girl there at the time that was that that we why couldn't we mop and why didn't we know how to pick up a mop and was, oh my god so I just I had to really train myself not to freeze when I hear you know adults 
yelling at, yelling or louder voices. It's like, oh. So how old were you? When that happened, I was probably about nine years old. Right? Like, this is the point we're trying to make and why we're talking about it now for all these different kinds of residential schools. And there's nothing wrong with a good camp. And like we said, right. a group of people getting together who might have a shared um, experience of something can be great. But don't forget that these are the kind of situations where this stuff does occur. And like talking about the CNIB, Janet, hope you don't mind us having this discussion with you today because we have to keep talking about how we truly feel about the CNIB and how we truly feel about, you know, schools for the blind versus um, sighted environments mm -hmm. and, and, and be honest about that because that's something that most Canadians don't hear from us. And no. it's something we've been ge generally afraid to talk about amongst ourselves. And, you know, nobody should say anything they're not comfortable saying, but just hearing how, how some kids are experiencing things from their schooling, like, you know, that does, a kid doesn't know how to handle that kind of yeah, that um, stuff, tre treatment. It, it's, so. It stays with you, of course. And, and you bring up earlier in, about the, you know, being a part of your, your community and your family. And that's, that's the big thing that we, we've heard before about people who, who didn't go to the school in Brantford, let's say. Um, but in your case, mm -hmm. you, moved, you moved to BC with your, with your family. Mm -hmm. So you were still close, but you went yeah. to the school there. So again, it's, and then when the time when you were in res there, it's like you're being raised by, by the, the school in a, in a lot of ways instead of going home to your, to your family. And that's, it's, that's a tricky thing, of course. Like sometimes it works and depending on someone's home situation, sometimes it, again, there's, there's pros and cons to most things, but at the same point, it's, it's not sort of the, the regular experiences of, of growing up and, and being, you know, taken care of by your parents or disciplined by them instead of it being somebody in the school. And, and again, everything being regimented and one size doesn't fit all. So when you're in a, a school like that and it's all regimented, it just makes me, oh, makes me yeah. wonder, right? Oh, oh yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm really glad, like I'm living to talk about it because in many ways, there were many people in the at Jericho Hill School that had a, not just blindness but other disabilities. So, as kids, we, you know, kids that were healthy or you know semi healthy, we didn't have a level of compassionate sensitivity. I don't like sensitivity training because you're you're too young, but a way to be with the person that makes them feel good for who they actually are. So, so, and we, you know, cause we'd be told this person, like they would focus on the disability, you know, this person has, uh, you, and they didn't have political correctness in those days. Like a person mm. was, re you know, I won't yeah. use the words, but I'm telling you, this was a non-politically correct uh, atmosphere that I was brought up in. So yeah, it was, um, but it, I, I just feel so great that I lived through all this, right? It's like, wow. It's like anyone, you know, I'm, I'm about to turn 35 here. And, and I, I know that feels, it probably sounds young to people, but the same point compared to eight, like I remember still when I was 18 and that feels like a long time ago. So we all have these experiences. Mm -hmm. and, and like you say, to be able to actually talk about these things because, you know, eventually we don't have the chance to talk about them. And then they just sort of get, can get lost in history, especially when it's topics like these that just aren't talked about that much. So 
we're really glad to have mm-hmm. Outlook as a forum here for, for you to be able to open up and be as honest and talk about anything that you, you think is important for people to know. So I think that's, that's a really oh, great, yeah. great to hear about. For anyone who has been listening, we're speaking today with Janet Erickson from Victoria, British Columbia, and have a great discussion going on so far. And we're going to take a quick break now for some promos. But when we, when we get back, we will continue talking to Janet here this morning on Outlook on Radio Western. Outlook. On Radio Western. Good morning. Welcome back to another episode of Outlook on Radio Western this morning. Today we are speaking with Janet and uh, we've had a great discussion so far um, about past experiences all the way back to our school days. Uh, So of course we're halfway through and we're still catching up to your teen years here, Janet. Yeah, yeah. I will recommend a book by a guy called Bruce Hutchison called Deliverance from Jericho. And he, he basically wrote my story. (laughs) Not about me personally, but, but not me personally, but just the whole, like, you can get the whole atmosphere of what it was like, from like, it was that, 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 that good, right? So I couldn't put it down. And having said that, though, with Jericho, yeah, they had a good braille program. Oh, good. Um, but and they had some cane training, but what wasn't translated was it was in a bubble. Okay, yeah. so when I like here's I'm living in my fantasy, which is really good. But it would have been great to hear. Oh, Jan, I know you can use that cane. It's so wonderful. It's your tool for your empowerment. But no, you know, so I'm focusing on what I wanted to hear when I was younger, not in a, oh, if only I heard it, but yeah, this is where I want to go in the future. Yeah. And you deserve to have heard that as a child. I did. Yeah. And, and I'm going to continue. I'm like, and we did a bit of drama, actually. We had play, you know, little plays and things. So I Mm. got, I, I think had I known about people that were blind that could act I would have liked to act being an actor in my own way (laughs) yeah I was saying I wouldn't mind trying some acting it's just I've never liked putting makeup on my face so that might be a bit of a problem oh yeah I I hadn't thought of that I was thinking more impromptu yeah uh, I agree but anyway we had skating and swimming and you know people took us out walking but we didn't have, I didn't use a cane till I was nine years old. Mm. And let's just say that I, thanks to the N, the CFB, I, I kind of healed a lot from my cane reaction. So I won't go there because I, I enjoy having the cane when um, I use it. Like I use it with my guide dog presently if I don't know where I'm going. So it's wonderful to heal from that thing with being blind. I don't know where to go. You still don't know where to go, but the difference is you can pull out that cane and try a little bit, right? And again, a lot of those, you know, not to go too into it, but those those attitudes towards the cane and, and the way it makes you feel and stuff, that all comes from from such an early time and, and depending on what your experience is like 
growing up and, and, and learning the cane, it, it can definitely affect that, that relationship. Oh, yeah. It took years to heal from the cane, you know, how, I, how it actually was. So that's why I'm focusing on the sunshine aspect of it right now. And that's the, that's the it, balance I find, too, with, with the show that we try, to, we, try to, we try to achieve and in general in, in life. And, and I mean, for anyone, but having a disability is it, is it is frustrating. And there are a lot of, you know, inequalities and things we need to work on. But at the same point, we also do try to stay positive as much as we can, because it's, it's easy, I think, mm-hmm. to get really angry. And sometimes I notice that in the blind community that people are just angry with everything. And I just I don't think that's <laughs> the right approach either. So it's a right. Balance. Well, you're. Yeah, well, you're talking to somebody like that, too. In fact, my mom said, oh, you've got a really big chip on your shoulder. I said, well, I'm glad I have. I'm still here. <laughs> so Helps be seen a little bit. More. And that's just it. You need, we need to have that, too, because if we're, if we're just totally, you know, passive and, and apathetic to things, then, then nothing gets done either. So, Oh, the little, oh yeah. Little blind angels. We're so passive. Right, right. Well, well I think, too, my talking about the Jericho experience, I have to simply because um, like lately I've been meeting baby boomers that are going back to the Jericho days where, mm-hmm. you know, they'd meet me and then they'd feel so sorry for me that um, like uh, that, that I couldn't, you know, it's like, oh, I can't get, I can't get up. You know, they, it's like, you know, I try to be friends with them on an equal basis and oh, whoopsie, something happened here where they would feel so sorry for me that, you know, they'd imply I couldn't get out. Even if I walked, oh, three kilometers with my dog today, let's say, right? And it's, yeah. it's, it's sort of creeping back. And so this is why I want to stay you know, this is why I want to talk about this, because I would like to be the person that, even though I want, you know, that doesn't want this to creep back. Yeah. And I mean, you, so you've done a lot. So you had, mm. how many guide dogs have you had? I've had six. This, wow. I'm on my sixth guide dog here and I've done it. Like I had my first when I was uh, 18 going on 19. So. Um, and I had like what like I've had that and then I didn't have a guide dog when I went to Norway skiing so I was gonna say if you took did you train with the dog your guide dog no I I trained with my guide dog first in San Rafael California but Mm -hmm. I did the skiing I was in regular school from grade six to grade, you know, to the end, but I was put back a grade because mm. uh, I have to tell you, um, a lot of the staff at the Jericho Hill School, they were getting older. Nobody talked about this, right? And they, they really didn't have the oomph that they had in the earlier days when the baby boomer blind people went through the school right so so i i, I was kind of glad i went out but uh okay so you didn't is, have your full your full schooling at, at no, jericho hill after that then no, you go back no so then how did no, that but, how did that all kind of tie into into your interest for for sports and and skiing and and how did that um, kind of tie in and how did you get into into the, the Paralympics and I guess it, it wasn't called the Paralympics at that point. 
No, it was called it was called the Olympics for the disabled or something like that. Um, well, the CNIB had this newsletter called Newslink, and uh, my mom got a print copy. And this is long before, oh, long before even uh, discs and DOS. Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> but so so that she, you know, she got me into it, and then because. I had my my older brothers and sisters. Yeah, it was a difficult relationship, but they they wanted they they helped by guiding me. Now, in a sense, it's hard because on one level, with blindness, I had a very privileged upbringing because a I'm white, right? Mm-hmm. And b because I had older brothers and sisters that could take me from place to place. I had no training or no understanding of those that didn't, right? And and this is why I wanted to be with the CFB because uh, I could have more understanding at least of how to help somebody feel that they could um, be fine with themselves. And and that too is a big, really is a big thing because it's it's that balance of, when we have people there to help and, and there's nothing wrong, you know, everyone needs, no, depe- no. everyone depends on somebody and we, we all need to help each other. But at the same point, sometimes that, that dependence mm-hmm. becomes so strong that you've had that core group or your family or certain people around that are, yeah. are, are helpful and it's great. But at the same point, sometimes that sort of pushes, like sort of, you know, delays you coming into your own and being your, your true self, independent self sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so like I had uh, so with the when I went with the skiing, um, my one of my sisters guided me uh, when I was in Yilo, and we that's in Norway, and we I did a five kilometer race and a ten kilometer race, and um, and we did a lot of training um, before um, we did a lot of running on the track and Mm -hmm. oh treadmill work and um what else Uh, oh i i ran cross-country running when i was a teenager i was able to join the cross-country running group when i uh in high school and so i just ran with people that could see right so so that that really worked well as well. Yeah, I know people who run marathons and they have runners, runner guys, mm-hmm. I guess they're called. Um, yeah. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, I know I run that way with a guide type person before. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah. Not all kids get out there and do that sort of stuff. So it's great no. to hear. And you got to visit Norway. Mm-hmm. I did. And then we also, my parents also took me with them when I was 14, 15, 14 on a road trip over uh, Western Europe. Wow, so I nice. Got, yeah. yeah. So I got to see a lot of um, palaces and uh, museums. And I, I wrote a journal actually on what you, you wouldn't believe it, a backward slate <laughs> because we'd sit in a motorhome I didn't have much to do. So I thought, well, I just do my slate practice. (laughs) 
Yeah, we've talked here a little bit on the show about about slate slates and stylus and something that we we haven't used as much. Just being in a bit of a younger generation, of course, they're still used and they they are convenient. Cards, yeah, to to have that um, you know technology free. You know, it's it's kind of neat that that they still have those and and they are a, a useful tool. But I feel like. How did you, how, how was Braille for you th- learning it? And is that something that you, well, that you loved? And how was your, how was your slate and stylus sort of skills? Cause I've tried to use one and I'm, I'm hit and miss with it, but I haven't had too well, much practice. I'm still hit and miss with it, but uh, I, it was really my Braille skills. Well, like I say, there, there's a lot, like I say, Braille, anything with blindness with Braille was learned like the bubble was so much huger in the 60s and 70s and than it is now. So like there were so few Braille books and it was all like the classics. So I was kind of a rebel and it's like, oh my God, I want to read, you know, the more glamour magazines or more like we like if you want conservatism that was the blind community yeah it's not hip enough fact that they don't have these (laughs) like cool books in braille like today obviously you can get anything if you have a braille display and it's hard to imagine those times yeah but all all those times was like it was the it was like uh it was like the Victorian era in the sixties, in, yeah, read in your, the seventies. Read your Bibles like good, like good girls and boys Bibles. That pretty Bi- much Bibles like, and Braille. Yeah, yeah, like anything about Buddhism. I didn't know Buddhism existed. That's how bad it was, right? It was like you didn't know. Well, it would be good to be introduced <laughs> to a to an array of a diversity of of thought, so religions. But mm-hmm. but yeah, I just. But even in the kids' books, the range yeah. was extremely, extremely narrow and extremely conservative. So, yeah. so it, um, you know, I, I didn't know anything about, oh gosh, I can't even explain it. It's just so bizarre. The whole, the whole closeness of it is so bizarre. Oh my God. And how do you feel now about about Braille? Do you prefer Braille or talk, uh, talking books or speech or what's what's your preference? I like I like a mix of both. Uh, I I write a lot in Braille, and then I I read our CFB stuff in um, the with the board. I I I write down the minutes in Braille, but the phone is talking to me at the same time. The speech, so. Uh, I'm a, I, I like the fact of, of a scrolling Braille display. Um, you know, yes, I like the Braille books, but I don't miss having to carry those heavy yeah. books. <laughs> I think we're all in that boat to some degree. I mean, even in the 90s, I had to, you know, bring back a bunch of volumes of math book, uh, textbooks home and stuff like that. And it's, it's pretty heavy, so. And well, the other thing I don't miss either is I my hands did not like plastic braille papers like the there's uh there's Therm- single thermoform thermoform yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's yeah. weird I yeah. even yeah. forgot it so. yeah your fingertips like <laughs> stick to it you can't read braille yeah. you can't read braille if you're stuck to yeah. uh, to one character 
<laughs> no, whereas like a braille display, yeah, it's plastic, but you, you don't have that same horrendous yeah, sweating. Yeah, you, you kind of glide over it a little more. Yeah, quite a lot, yeah, quite a bit more. So, yeah, I, I'm just, I would have liked to have had a lot more exposure to pictures when I was younger because um, I don't have spatial awareness of a picture with my hands at all. Yeah, because you talked, you talked a little bit about uh, some cane travel growing up, but you didn't have, you didn't get enough, much experience like learning maps and, and tactile maps and stuff like that. Um, I did and I didn't. I would just sort of sit there and if, if, if I could see in my eyes would glaze over, that's what it would be like. Oh, I think it was like a brain coma. But I, I really did try with the maps because I did like geography. Once I got into college, I took a lot of um, humanities courses of different subjects because, as you know, with blindness, science and blindness um, are an interesting combination. And I mean the physical science in a broad sense, phys history, ge I mean geography, geology, biology, chemistry, all those. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, maps aren't somebody everybody's kind of language some people no yeah it's like we all struggle. have strengths and weaknesses in different areas and yeah that's that's just sort of one of those things sometimes mm -hmm. sometimes people get and they don't and a lot of it also depends on the method of how things are taught and who's the who the teacher is and there's so many factors i think that go into all of these things that so mm -hmm. so do you have a do you have a, a touch screen phone then janet or not Oh, yes, I do. Okay. And I didn't um, know because sometimes using a touchscreen, some people that gives them a little bit of an idea, other times maybe not because you have to, I mean, you don't, you can swipe through everything or you can talk to your mm -hmm. phone or you can know where this on the screen something is and put your finger right to it. So there's like, mm -hmm. it's great. It's great when there's multiple ways of getting to, to, to accomplish something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And um, I, I just like the, um, maps, the map app that I have now called Nearby Explorer. I, I really like it because it uh, kind of it it helps me to know the you know how the streets run in a narrative way versus sort of feeling the outlines of the streets. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well. Well said. Narrative. Narratively. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's yeah. great. And we all have different learning s styles. And that's that's why it's the more options that are out there, the better. And it's like we talked about earlier with Braille compared to speech and, and all these options. It's good to use a combination of, of different different things. So today on Outlook, we're speaking with, with Janet Erickson. She's calling in from Victoria, British Columbia. And I think maybe we should get a little bit into your, your adult life. So we talked about your, your, your skiing and, and going in Norway and the the Paralympics at the time, which went under a different name. So kind of after that, sort of what was your life like as, as an adult and adjusting and, and figuring out, you know, you talked briefly there about, about um, going off to post-secondary school, I think. So maybe just a mm -hmm. bit of a summary here about, about your, your adulthood and how that, how that kind of translated from your, from your childhood. Well, it, it was a mixed adulthood because I... I worked at the CNIB for one summer helping people with reading Braille, but I found it 
Um, let's see if I'm going to talk to my younger self about what I would have wanted to have had, which was a lot more sensitivity training about and around burnout. Because after that summer, I realized I couldn't see and I was like, it really, they really drilled it into me that I wasn't going to be driving, baby, you know? And so it put me in a funk for, you know, a number of years that I had to kind of really push myself out of constantly, you know, and, and I, you know, and, and I just, I, I kept going though, in my own way, I I took um, lots of humanities courses at Douglas college. And then I, I went through, um, and I tried disability, you know, like I went to different multiple disability conferences. And then because, again, there, there was no way to really stop burnout around accessibility issues. I was worried about everybody in there, you know, like, like I really wanted to fix the world. But where do we start here? So and I think I think it's really great you bring that up because <laughs> we talk on this show and we're just, you know, we're. <laughs> We've been just kind of really getting into advocacy and and accessibility and all these things the last few years more so. But it, it you do get burnt out if you don't sort of balance yourself. And the thing is, this this there's so much out there that can be changed that it's it's a it is a balance. And sometimes I think yeah we we do take on a lot. And right. I don't know it's but it's tricky. Yeah, at that time it wasn't. You see, with blindness in the '60s, '70s, kind of '80s. And even now with the sighted population, I find it's a silent world out there. Yes, there's computer, you know, noises of computers. Yes, there's people talking about different, you know, did you see the hockey game or whatever. But on in in one way, it's extremely silent for me. Um, as far as just, um, the, it's, it's very difficult to explain this. The silence isn't quite as bad in the states. Like they, they talk more about things in the states, and I, I had to kind of cope with that. That not, you know, a lot of people wanted to talk about being blind in a way that was more uh, affirming of a person's strengths, and that that took a lot of years to learn how do you affirm a person's strengths yeah i mean i think you you give a lot of examples talking there about your past about and it's still something we need to work on is this the focus being so much on the disability and sort of putting you into a box or or, or saying you can't do this or this or that and i think mm. you know these days there are, is a lot of talking out there but like you kind of comment there it's it's a lot of sort of small talk not really getting into the real discussion and having a real honest discussion about about things and it's that sort of right. balance that I think still sometimes people just want to blend in and they don't want their blindness to be talked about at all but at the same point we need to talk about it but not in, as a focus of this disability oh this poor thing it's it's, right. it's more of yeah, this no, no. you know this empowering thing and the things we can do and we do need to talk about it more but I think a lot of people still if they are blind and they they've been integrated so far in the sighted world, they don't, you know, it's the whole sort of idea of ableism in our own group of people to where we even have that to some degree in our own community because we're just so 
you know, brought up with that, that those beliefs and they're so ingrained in society. So. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and then I, um, I, I took therapeutic recreation training and, and then I learned that, uh, you know, a lot of people that were blind didn't want therapeutic recreation type training. So then I went back to school and I took English and linguistics. I went to UVic and I'm so glad I did because I like smaller town, smaller campuses. It was a smaller campus. So mm. I not only did that, I, I had lots of exposure to all the different computer technology that was out there everything from um back in the day uh the apple 2e and the old windows i don't know what number we're talking but because er and you know now i and now it's the iphone but after let's see what else and you know one i I just also found that I got so many mixed messages about how to be an adult, everything from being a fashion, you know, looking really, how do I look fashionable as a woman to rejecting that quite a bit? Because it, like with total blindness, I find that, you know, you're, you're, it, I mean, I'm really over exaggerating, but I can't say this enough that you're, jumped on <laughs> i'm really exaggerating this but you you get so jumped on and and it's like well you know do you go into self-defense mode and a lot of people that can see don't really get that it's t- and it's changing slowly but so so i really had to struggle with a lot of mixed messaging that i got because it's all verbal yeah. Yeah, I think I think you make a po- a great point there about just how sometimes I think it does it does sort of feel like there's a lot of other people saying making decisions for us or saying, "Oh, you you could try this or you should try that" instead of us sort of having the full control over what we want to do and not not always kind of feeling like we're we're getting opinions from everyone else and I think I think things are getting better. They 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 gradually do, but I still think it's a lot of it's out there that and and it's also the the adult life is a tricky thing because we're all at different levels and when you're when you're um when you're blind growing up you do you do hit certain levels differently i think than than a lot of people um you know for for me and i think also we have a, a lot of blind people have other disabilities on top of the blindness so there's so many factors that delay our developments in some ways and so when we, yeah. when, we when we become adults it's it sometimes it's just like you kind of don't know what to do because it's you're kind of thrown into this and everyone goes through that when they when they get to be an adult but it's just it's a different experience for for people who have uh blindness and other disabilities well one thing i can speak to is why i am a fundamentalist every once in a while because i realized at an early age that if i didn't look after myself in in you know i wasn't perfect with this but nobody is but if i if i let's say partied hardy you know every every night with blindness i i wouldn't i wouldn't live like as long 
uh, you know, <laughs> and so of course I had this really fundamentalist reaction every once in a while to people that drank or people that took too much pot or or things like that because because I had the blindness I could say you know you guys don't know exactly what you're <laughs> you're doing to your you know like because I didn't have the accessibility it comes to accessibility to respond compassionately to people that could see that we're you know doing too much pot or too much alcohol like like in for me I've been around people that were adults that were drunk when I was 15 16 so I didn't um there was no training with blindness at that age on how to um how to move out of their environment Right. And this is yeah. why you really need that, those blindness skills, because yep. nobody talks about that one. Yeah. Just so yeah. The kids that can just hop up and go and they can jump around and they're not worried about always, oh, I'm going to fall or where's the step or you, you yeah. just sometimes want to yeah. be like everyone else in, in that way and, and just be a kid. And you, and when there's drunk adults, yeah. like, yeah. and I say this not in a, in a life saving sense. If you have those blindness skills when you're, you know, very young to older and you meet an adult that's drunk, let's like, I have to be this honest because I like, I, I would rather know that when somebody hears me, there's something in their life was saved because so often people say in the adult world, sighted adults say, well, you you can't change the world. You can't change others. And I'm sort of here. No, I'm being a radical teen right now, even though I'm, you know, I'm close to a certain age. Because I'd rather know somebody was helped by what I said, which is really have those blindness skills so you can move toward a better better situation for yourself. Absolutely, I think that's a. Wow, that's a great a great place to end it. There's so much we could talk about today, and uh, yeah, I could have done yeah. a whole I could have done a whole episode about talking about books and reading, um, but uh, you got some great stories and um, from your life lived, and so thanks for coming on, and maybe you'll come back sometime. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciated this time. Send us an email, Outlook on Radio Western at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Outlook CFB. And on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.